The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Hi, I'm Janie, and I'm a failure. A big, huge failure. And I have evidence. Um, Facebook told me that I'm a failure. Uh, I don't use Facebook. I just not my thing. But a few years ago, as part of a social experiment, I used it. And this is what my friend got as an email. Help a friend. Janie only has 27 friends. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And she forwarded to me. Ha 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 ha. So I'm a failure at friends on Facebook. Um, I have driven two motorcycles in my life, and I've wrecked two motorcycles in my life. I um, used to have these haircuts and these glasses that you can see in this picture. Yes. Hashtag fashion fail. Hashtag I love the 90s. Um, I'm a failure at school. Second semester of my uh, master's program. My second year, I was called into the academic dean's office because I was failing all my classes except for one. I'm a failure at my job. Um, I ran a soup kitchen for a couple years, and the volunteers were all high schoolers and junior hires from a church 10 miles away. And one night, we got back from serving at the soup kitchen, and I discovered I had left two junior hires back at the soup kitchen. And their parents let me know that I was a big failure as well that night. I'm a failure in romantic relationships. Um, I'm single in my 30s, and that was never part of the plan. And one relationship, I was dating a guy for about five months, and the way that I found out that we were no longer dating is that he got engaged to someone else. So romance fail. Sometimes I'm a pathetic friend. I'm a bad boss, I'm a lazy employee, I'm a whiny sister, I'm a thoughtless daughter, and regularly I'm a horrible sinner. I am a failure. But the fact that you know that I'm a failure means that you know the worst thing about me. It also means that you know the best thing about me. Because when I realized I was a failure, and I turned to God and said, I can't do this on my own. I'm just going to fail at it. That is when I discovered the unconditional love of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. And now I'm living out who God says I am instead of the fact that I'm a failure. This quarter, we've been looking at failure in the book of Jonah, and He was a prophet in the Old Testament, and tonight we're going to finish that up by looking at chapter 4 of Jonah. Um, But before we dive into the scripture, I want to stop a minute and just pray for God to be in our hearts. God, we thank you that you are our identity. We thank you that we can go to you with our failures and know you're there. I pray that you would speak to us through your word tonight, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable, acceptable in your sight, God. Speak to us now in your name. Amen. 
So let's look at Jonah. What have we seen so far? Um, The quick and dirty review of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet in Israel. He was called by God and told you should go to Nineveh, which was Jonah's country's enemy, and tell them to um, repent or they would be destroyed. So Jonah promptly went the absolute other direction. He got on a boat. He went to a town far away called Tarshish. Um, So you would think that that would be the first failure of Jonah's and then disobedience, that's the end of the story. But no, there's a lot more after that. On the way to Tarshish, there's this huge storm in the sea as they're traveling there. And um, he tells the other sailors, this is because of me. You should throw me overboard. So they do. They throw him overboard. The storm calms down and the the sailors all turn their hearts to God because of that. So Jonah fails to get it to um, go to Nineveh. He fails to make it to Tarshish, and then he's attempting to die, and he fails to do that as well, because God actually brings this giant fish to come and swallow Jonah. He lives there for three days until the fish spits him up on dry land, and um, he probably smelled really good. That's what I always think about in that moment. Um, And again, God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, tell them if they don't repent and change that they will be destroyed. He does that. The entire, it's a a miracle. The entire city repents and they turn their hearts toward God. And we might think, yay, Jonah does it. He's finally successful. He doesn't fail. That's awesome. But Jonah's reaction to that was the mercy that God showed. He got pissed. He was super angry. He wanted God to proclaim judgment, and he felt like a failure because the city wasn't destroyed. The irony is really interesting, I think. Um, Most biblical scholars would say that Jonah is actually kind of an ironic book of the Bible. It's a satire of what a relationship with God should not look like. And yet Jonah is one of the only, quote-unquote, successful prophets in Scripture. Because most of the time, the prophets would go and proclaim Repent, the end is nigh. Um, And the people who heard it would plug their ears and turn their backs. So it's interesting that we're looking at this really successful prophet, and um, we're also asking, when is a success also a failure? Jonah doesn't want God's grace extended beyond himself to these people. Laura gave us great insight about this last Tuesday. If you haven't heard her talk, you should listen to it. But what happens when we have expectations coming into a circumstance or a situation and how often, when those are disappointed, how often we react irritated and angry and dissatisfied with everything? We're going to finish by looking at chapter 4. And in this last chapter, Jonah and God are actually having a little debrief. They're talking about what has just happened. Um, And I'm going to read actually from the message version of scripture because it's really similar to other um, scriptural translations, but it gets at the gist of what was going on in this back and forth between God and Jonah. Um, So let's take a look at the message. I think we have on screen. Okay. Right. This is right after... Nineveh repents, and then God shows them mercy. So Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. He yelled at God, God, I knew it when I was back home. I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered. This is so funny. He's like upset with God, and he's yelling at God. All of these reasons why God is amazing. 
I knew that you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. It's so accusatory. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. He's also kind of dramatic. God says, what do you have to be angry about? But Jonah just left. He went out of the city to the east and sat down in a sulk. He put together a makeshift shelter of leafy branches and sat there in the shade to see what would happen to the city. God arranged for a broadleaf tree to spring up. It grew over Jonah to cool him off and get him out of his angry sulk. Jonah was pleased and enjoyed the shade. Life was looking up. But then God sent a worm. By dawn of the next day, the worm had bored into the shade tree and it withered away. The sun came up and God sent a hot blistering wind from the east. The sun beat down on Jonah's head and he started to faint. He prayed to die. I'm better off dead. Then God said to Jonah, what right do you have to get angry about the shade tree? Jonah said, plenty of right. It's made me angry enough to die. God said, what's this? How is it that you can change your feelings from pleasure to anger overnight about a mere shade tree that you did nothing to get? You neither planted nor watered it. It grew up one night and died the next night. So why can't I, likewise, change what I feel about Nineveh from anger to pleasure? This big city of more than 120,000 childlike people who don't yet know right from wrong to say nothing of all the innocent animals. That's the end. Um, so God, uh, Jonah is so angry with God that God is so amazing. And the word here that he uses for grace and mercy, the Hebrew word for mercy is rechem, which literally translated means womb. The sense of this word is kind of like motherly love, which surrounds with care and protection. That's what God is offering to Jonah. And that's what God has done for Nineveh as well, which I want to point out is really a incredible female characteristic of God, which we don't talk about very often. The word womb is, is used to describe the way that God loves. Um, but Jonah is cool. Jonah's cool if this care and protection is for him and people like him. Not so much when it includes his enemies. If this is the case, he wants out. He wants to die. I'm better off dead. Then this argument between Jonah and God, Jonah's response is essentially, whatever. Right? He walks out. He just left, is the way Eugene writes it. Isn't that the worst when you're trying to engage in a, con- in a conflict with someone or a conversation or you're arguing, and then the way they just shut it down is they're like, whatever, and they walk out. It's so, it's so difficult, and it demonstrates how difficult Jonah's being in this situation. He goes out to sulk. And I wonder if you know, he thinks, if I go, you know, Sulk, maybe God will change his mind. Jonah, your pouting is really, it's turning me around. This makes sense. I should go destroy Nineveh. And the story with the tree is a bit confusing. Like this tree grows up overnight and then it disappears. And really, I think it's a, it's a story within a story to hone in on how, how angry and how bitter Jonah is in these circumstances when he doesn't get his way, his response to the world. Just kill me, kill me now. And the last couple lines are the essentials of who God is. God is saying, how can I be God and not care or have compassion for anyone or anything who desperately needs me? That's who I am, Jonah. 
I'm God. Eugene Peterson, who translated the message version of scripture, writes that one of the reasons Jonah is so important for us is because uh, he's not too high and mighty for us to identify with. He's not an ideal. He's a companion in our ineptness. That's great. Here's someone on our level. Even when Jonah does right, he gets it wrong. This is key. If you turn, if you tune me out up to this point, tune in again. What is key is the whole time, the whole time God is working in and through Jonah's ineptness and accomplishing God's purposes. In all of scripture, we see it over and over again. We see it in the story of Jonah. With God, failure is never fatal. It's directional. I heard this at a winter retreat years ago. Um, Scott Dudley, the pastor at First Breath Bellevue, said it, and it's sticking with me. So if you want to hear something that you'll never forget for the rest of your life, come to the winter retreat this weekend. With God, failure is never fatal. It's directional. What's your response to failure? Or even the possibility of failure, or even the fact, your perception that you failed, even if you haven't, or if things don't go your way, what do you do? Do you avoid it and run away, like Jonah? Do you complain about it, like Jonah? Do you blame other people for your situation, like Jonah? I would have got a better grade, but that TA was terrible. Do you respond with anger and frustration? Or do you see what happened and see what's my next direction? I understand what life is like for you as college students. It is so crazy, busy, hard, incredible. To get here, you are used to being incredibly successful. You were one of, if not the best student in your high school as far as grades go, not to mention the bazillion of extracurricular activities that you engaged in. Failure is not something that you have experienced. It's not an option for you, and it petrifies you. The fear of failure is something we all have to deal with at some point. I promise you, if you haven't found it yet, you will find something that you are inept at. For me, it's riding motorcycles, amongst other things. Unfortunately, in our culture, it is not an option to fail. And we think no one else is failing. We look at other people and we think, they are doing a little bit better. They're getting better grades than I am. They got into the business school or nursing school and I didn't. Or they got that perfect internship or that summer job or they're the perfect couple. They're so cute together. It seems like they're perfect, but they aren't. And the fear of failure paralyzes our life and it wrecks us. I was similar in college. I worked as hard as I could to make sure that I didn't fail at anything. Sometimes not taking risks on experiences or relationships because there was a possibility of failure there. I was a good Christian and I was afraid of losing God's love. I like to call it the Santa Claus is coming to to town theology, right? There was a list and if I failed, I was getting chucked off. That's how I thought God loved me. I was constantly trying to please God, and I was so tired. But it wasn't until I fell flat on my face with some of the stuff I talked about earlier. I was failing school. I had broken relationships. I had some really messy friendships. And I looked at my life, and all I could say was, wow, I've done it 
that's a failure, that's a failure, that's a failure, that's a failure. And I had to finally admit it to myself. But it was finally when I embraced being a failure that I let God love me. I was like, oh, that's what grace is. When you fall flat on your face and God says, I love you anyway. It was like Jesus had put his arm around me and we were looking at all my failure and sin. And he said, wow, that's a lot. But this isn't your identity anymore. I am. Sometimes I find myself in the same place today. When I stand in front of you to deliver a message on a Tuesday, like right now, I am petrified. I don't eat hardly anything on Tuesdays because I get so nervous because I'm afraid I will come up here and I will completely tank and you guys will see what a failure I am. But the voice I hear right after that, the voice of Jesus says, God's love's not going anywhere. So now I know if you discover the truth of what a massive tool I am and you get up and you all walk out, God's love is still here. That's what God was saying when he saved the Ninevites. Teaches us that God's compassion and love doesn't go anywhere. When I look at failure and success with Jonah, what I notice is that God wasn't asking Jonah to be successful. He was asking Jonah to be faithful. Mother Teresa, um, she worked with the dying in Calcutta. And the famous quote, you might have heard it before, someone asked her, how many people have you saved in your work with the dying? And Mother Teresa's response was, well, no one. Everyone has died. But God hasn't called us to be successful. He's called me to be faithful. God doesn't call us to be successful. God calls us to be faithful. And he calls us into life-giving adventures. Mike and Sherry, you shared earlier, were, uh, have been important mentors in my life as well. And a gaffism, something that Mike says all the time, um, is that when you have a choice, when you have choice in front of you, which is most of the choices we have in life, often we're not like there's a right answer and a wrong answer. Most of the time we just get to choose. Mike says, do the one that scares you the most. Because that's the one that's going to draw you closer to God. God's going to use whatever failure you have to teach you something, to show you his grace, or to draw you closer. Most of the things God calls us to have a huge chance of failing. Talking to a friend about Jesus, they could totally reject you. Starting a Bible study in your house, you might discover, I suck at this. Signing up for a mission trip or the winter retreat could be so awkward and difficult. That's okay. Think about Peter walking on water. All the disciples are in a boat, see a galley. They see Jesus out in the distance walking towards them. And Peter decides, I'm walking on water too. He gets out. He takes a step. It's going great. Second step starts to sink. And the conversation later on with the disciples could have looked something like, nice try, Peter, but that was an epic fail. But you know who the bigger failures were? The 11 guys sitting behind him who never got out of the boat. The things God calls us to are going to involve failure, but what a great failure it is because the alternative is nothing. Having the opportunity to hear no about something is an opportunity for yes and something else. With God, failure is never fatal. It's directional. 
I love the story of Thomas Edison, who invented the light bulb, right? You've probably heard. He, it took him a thousand tries to come up with the light bulb. There he is. That's what it looks like. So, um, and at the time, a reporter asked him, like, were you discouraged that you'd failed so many times? And Edison said, I didn't fail. I just discovered 999 ways not to make a light bulb. No one gets through life without some kind of failure. I finally realized it, and it's one of the best things that happened to me because I realized that it's through failure that we are transformed by God into who God created us to be. If you never fail, you're a failure. If you never reach beyond your reach, then you played it too safe. Because when you do it without going beyond your reach, then you can do it without God. And that's not what we're called to. This is why we even did a series on failure. Our great hope is that you realize in this life full of uncertainty that you can take the fear of failure off the table. Let's not let failure get in the way of our faithfulness. What Jonah didn't get is he was seeking his version of success, not God's. When you stand before God... He's not going to give you a grade. He's not going to give you a bunch of money for how hard you worked. He's not going to tell you how impressed he is with your resume. He's going to say, how did you respond to my son, Jesus? And were you faithful? Somewhere between failure and success, God has called us to faithfulness. What the world calls up, God calls down. Jesus will use our failures to direct us and make them count, even if we can't see it. That's his faithful promise. And if you've never received that faithful, faithful promise for yourself, you can do so tonight. And I don't know how you come here tonight. If there's a voice in your head telling you that you are a miserable failure who will never amount to nothing, that's not the voice of Jesus. That's the voice of the devil, and you know where you can tell him to go. But if you hear a voice that tells you, wow, you are a raging success due to your hard work and good looks, that's not the voice of Jesus either. But if you hear a voice that says, well done, good and faithful servant, you're getting to know me. You are allowing me to direct you even through your failures. You're being faithful even when it's hard. If that's the voice you hear, that's the voice of Jesus. A huge failure when he lived, according to the world standards, because um, he had 12 followers, or actually only 11 followed through. And for what he did and said, he was killed. But he is saying to you, well done, good and faithful servant. When the master of the universe, the king of kings, says that to you, when he says that to you, who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares how you measure up to other people? Who cares if you're going to fail and fall flat on your face over and over and over again? Because how can life be any more full and successful than that? Gracious God, we are so grateful that you have called us into a life of faithfulness, that you will direct our failures to whatever it is you have for us next. We're grateful for your transformation. We're grateful for your salvation. 
We pray that you will teach us how to live more and more into who you have created us to be. People who are identified with your love and grace, not with our failure. Amen.